0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is nothing that is confusing to you. And uh, as we come our way to the end of Daniel, we're really grateful for that. Uh, For this book has been confusing at times, but you see all things clearly. We're grateful for that. Uh, We pray, Father, that um, you would not look away from us, but you would continue to keep your eyes set upon us. And you'd continue to minister to us. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would do that work now. Your Holy Spirit would be here in this this place and in each of the homes of those who are watching, that they would know you are present with them. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning. As you can see, I've returned from my week off, and you have all left me. Uh, With my return, we return also to Daniel. This is the last chapter of Daniel, and and the last week we'll spend in this book. And as we come to the end of Daniel, it's appropriate to reflect on what we've learned over the course of the past 11 weeks. One thing we have learned is that, in a way, Daniel can be divided into two halves that on the surface appear to tell two different stories, opposing stories even, The first six chapters appear to tell a success story of God's saints succeeding in a foreign court. They enjoy their success in this life. The other story, occupying the latter half of the book, tells the story of saints suffering in this life. Theirs is the story of persecution, particularly the persecution that came to them under the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes. He brought with him a time of suffering unrivaled in the history of the Jews up until that point in their history. And so we have here two stories, one of success and one of suffering. But if you consider these two stories together, then it turns out that together they combine to tell a single story. It's the story of the supremacy of God over all things. In reality, nothing in the book of Daniel is really as it should be. Yes, the first half of the book is a series of success stories, but they are success stories in exile. They are away from the land, far from where they want to be. They're successful, sure, but they're also homesick. And so their success is softened and compromised by exile. In the second half of the book, they are in the land again. They're where they want to be, but it's not really their land. They're constantly being invaded from the north and the south. It's technically home, but it lacks safety, a key component for any place claiming to truly be home. Nothing is as it should be in Daniel. And yet the entire book ends with this command to Daniel, go your way and rest. You shall rise for your reward at the end of the days. In a book where nothing is as it should be, still the ending is a command to rest. Daniel ends with a promise of resurrection and reward. The unfulfilling nature of the rest of the book only serves to accentuate this unexpected ending. Rest, reward, resurrection. these are the promises of a God who is not deterred by circumstances. He can restore the world to its original design. He can make it all good again. This world will break your heart. It will disappoint you. It will grind you down. But rest, reward, and resurrection are promised to the faithful nonetheless. Because our God can overcome all things to accomplish his purposes. Anguish such as never, been, never occurred since nations first came into existence is predicted for God's people in chapter 12, verse 1. And yet Daniel is told in chapter 12, verse 13, just 12 verses later, go your way and rest. How can God tell Daniel to rest when nothing is as it should be? And anguish is predicted for the future. What cause has God given us to rest he tells us to rest, but rest in what? Rest in whom? Well, between verses 1 and 13, we will find that Daniel 12 gives us eight, eight, count them, reasons to obey God's command to rest in spite of our experience of the world around us. And those eight causes for rest are what we're going to look at, look at together this morning. Whatever you are experiencing, God tells you, go your way and rest. And here's why. The first cause for rest that we find in Daniel 12 comes with the mention of Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people, mentioned in verse 1. Who is this Michael? Well, we meet him, we've met him already in chapter 11, where he came to the angel Gabriel's aid. Michael is an angel, a messenger of God, who God uses to carry out his will in this world, to protect the saints and to do his bidding. Hebrews 1.14 describes angels as spirits in the divine service, sent to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Hidden from our sight, the angels of God fight for the saints. They ministered to Jesus in the desert when he was weary and being tempted by the devil, according to the gospel of Mark. They fought for Israel, a whole army of them against the Arameans, but it took Elisha praying for his attendant to have his eyes opened before he could see the mountains were full of angels fighting for them. They were there, but it took prayer to see them. Oh, May God likewise open your eyes to see that God's angels are fighting for you in this life. There's a spiritual war being waged in our midst. But God does not leave us to fight alone. No, he sends his angels to be our guard, to attend to us. So go your way and rest in the protection of his angels. And the second cause of rest comes with the realism of the latter half of Daniel. If you read the first half of Daniel alone, you'd be forgiven for thinking that scripture was out of touch with reality. Everything always turned out hunky-dory for the saints. Wrong was always set right. The righteous were always vindicated. But in chapter 12, we see that God is much more realistic about the world in which we live. He sees it as we often experience it. In verse 10, he acknowledges that the wicked will continue to act wickedly and none of the wicked will ever be convinced. They'll never understand. This is the world more familiar to us. God knows the world in which we live. There are wicked people. And there will always be wickedness in this world. Sometimes we even act wickedly. God's under no delusions here. He's not surprised and neither should we be. Yet Christians still continue to marvel at the news cycle and allow ourselves to be scandalized by the latest examples of humanity's depravity. We settle into doomsday narratives and allow ourselves to relish predictions of coming suffering. But in reality, there should be nothing surprising here. And nothing is to be gained by spending our energy scoffing at the world. Rest will come when we are able to adopt the realism that God demonstrates in Daniel 12. We can and we should mourn the state of humanity, but we cannot and should not be surprised by its brokenness. We've been told what to expect. And in the realism of God, we are freed to spend our time pursuing things both productive and holy. So go your way and rest in the realism of God. The third cause for rest is the, in the knowledge of God's methods. In chapter 12, again, God predicts anguish such as never occurred since nations first came into existence. But in verse 10, Right before this, his realistic statement regarding the enduring presence of wickedness in the world, God tells Daniel that many shall be purified, cleansed, and refined. In the presence of wickedness, many will be purified, cleansed, and refined. Gold is purified when fire is allowed to melt away the dross. Diamonds are formed only under intense pressure. Character is formed and virtue is born through, uh, through experiences of suffering. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5, we boast in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope will not disappoint because God loves us and he's given us his Holy Spirit. But this confidence, hope, and character, this grit to endure the difficulties of life all begin with suffering. It's the fertile ground out of which God forms us, purifies us, cleanses us, refines us, and so he takes the sting out of these things, and he transforms our prayers when we experience them so that it's not just, Lord, take this from me, but now, Lord, shape me through this experience. Purify me, scrub me clean, refine me until I shine like the finest gold. He turns even the wickedness of this world on itself. And instead of destroying you as it intends, God uses it to produce virtue in you. So go your way and rest in God's chosen methods. And the fourth cause for rest in the midst of predictions of anguish is also discovered in the first verse. When the predicted anguish in that verse comes, it's said also that at that time, everyone who is found written in the book will be delivered. But what book is this? One scholar writes, no doubt, this is the book of life attested to in Malachi three sixteen through 18, where the prophet describes God as taking notice of those who revered the Lord and writing their name down in a book. Of these people, God says in Malachi 3.17, they shall be mine, my special possession on the day when I set and I'll spare them as parents spare their children who serve them. You see, the promise here is that God does not forget us because our names are recorded in a book that he reads regularly. He rejoices in the pages of names written down. And our names are not written there with ink or with lead, but in blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's nothing that can erase our names from this book. They were written there in blood and love. And on the day of judgment, we'll be spared from the just punishment for our sins. We'll be forgiven, not forsaken or forgotten, because our names are recorded in this book. So go your way and rest in God's records. The fifth cause for rest is in the timing of God. Verses 11 and 12 have some very confusing and exact numbers. When Daniel asked when all this predicted anguish will be over, he was told, From the time the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that desolates is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Happy are those who persevere and attain the 1,335 days. Of of these numbers, one scholar admits that all attempts to work out an exact meaning for the days of verses 11 through 12 seem to end in confusion. Another scholar admits the same limitation in understanding the meaning of these days. The numbers may have some symbolic significance, he writes, but that significance is now lost to us. So whatever the actual meaning of these numbers The significance of them is an encouragement to perseverance because the suffering has a time limit and will end fairly soon. In other words, the symbolic significance of the numbers may be lost to us, but the force of their meaning endures. And the meaning is this. God has appointed an end. Wrong and suffering will not last forever. Wickedness will not win the day. God wins and he always will. So go your way and rest in his timing. The sixth cause for rest from Daniel 12 is the power of God. He can raise the dead. Verse 2 says that many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, in other words, many of those who are dead, they shall awake. Scripture often uses the language of sleeping and waking to talk about death and resurrection. And those people in verse two who are dead are woken up by God. They're raised by him. He has the power to bring the dead to life again. Only he can breathe life into people now dead or to breathe life into marriages that are struggling, to bring about reconciliation between parents and their children, to breathe life into the depressed and despairing, to breathe life into bodies that are broken and sick. To, bring, to, to breathe life into his church, to mend the divisions of politics and race, ability and income. He is able to do these things because he's power, powerful enough to do so. He can raise the dead. So go your way and rest in his power. And the seventh cause for rest in the 12th chapter of Daniel is the justice of God. In verse 3, we learn why the dead are raised. They are raised to be judged. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But not everyone receives the same treatment because not everyone deserves the same treatment. Scripture is realistic about the wickedness of this world, remember? Some are raised to be treated with contempt, and some are raised to be made to shine like the stars. They're made glorious and beautiful. There will be justice. And here I would say, if I'm following my pattern, so go your way and rest in the justice of God. Except for the fact that the justice of God is not a restful thing to those deserving of his anger. The justice of God can really only be comforting and restful when accompanied by the grace and love of God. The justice of God can only be restful in Jesus Christ, who is the eighth and final cause for our rest, the ultimate cause. Through Jesus Christ, the justice of God is satisfied because he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice in our place, and what we see him endure on the cross is what we deserved. Misery, abandonment, and death without the certainty of resurrection. But he experienced that for us. And God was pleased to let him do so because he loved us so much that he would rather his own son die than that the whole world be lost to him forever. than that you be lost to him forever. Through the death of Jesus Christ, God is justified in pardoning us now. We continue to sin. But our hope, our rest is found in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, in the grace that comes to us through him. In him we rest. Because in him, the justice and grace of God are resolved and we are forgiven and set free. You see, in Jesus, the justice of God is satisfied And the grace of God comes to us in full measure, abundant enough to cover our many sins. And Jesus will be raised in the power of God. Our names are written in the book of life in his blood. And the spirit of the risen Christ now lives in us in order to purify, cleanse, and refine us under the pressures and pains of this world. In Jesus, our expectations for this world are set. Because if they killed our master, then what will they do to his servants? And at this very moment, Jesus is in the heavens, victorious over death itself, and he sends his angels to minister to us, to defend us and fight on our behalf. He's given us many reasons to rest. In him you are secure, so go your way and rest. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.